continuing our series uh, uh, looking at wisdom, becoming skilled in the art of godly living or skilled in the art of godly relationships. And we're going through different sections of Proverbs and uh, looking at different topics. And we've talked about the fact that wisdom is rooted in relationship with the Lord. Often in the Old Testament, you see it uh, all caps, the Lord is Yahweh, the God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. The, the personal name for God who wants relationship with his people. And the story of scripture being this story of God wanting relationship with his people. And in the wisdom books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, he's, he's inviting us into wisdom within that relationship, recognizing that as the creator of the world, he created the world and that there's a spiritual and moral order and that it matters and he wants us to flourish. And so we have this, uh, these words to, to give us, invite us to grow in our being skilled in the art of godly living and godly relationships. We're looking this week, uh, having looked at wisdom being rooted in relationship with the Lord, that it being rooted in humility, uh, in our own humility and uh, running from pride and to humility. One of the main themes that we find, and they're just verse after verse throughout Proverbs, about our speech, about our lips, our tongue, our mouths, the things that we say. Speech is incredibly powerful. And we, we know that. Even like if we think about national or global things that are happening, we recognize the power of speech. I and mean, there's, there's really uh, often battles over whose speech we're going to hear or listen to or what's appropriate speech or even how to define words, right? Like if you think about, uh, I, I almost never use the word event, evangelical to describe our church because uh, the word has been redefined over the last 10 to 15 years in, in ways that it's confusing to, to use that, that word. And that's, that's a recognition of the way that speech and words has power uh, to affect our lives. But we're going to look here at how it affects us more personally. And we're going to see three things from the passage. We're going to see that speech is foundational, that uh, speech is powerful, and that there is a, a speech that is careful, that we're called to be careful in our speech. So let me pray for us and, and we'll take a look. Lord, we do thank you for your words, for your speaking to us and revealing yourself to us. And we pray that you would give us wisdom, that you might give us wise words. Give me wise words to, to speak and, and allow it to impact each of us that we might use wise words as we walk through life. Honoring you, loving you, loving others, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Speech is foundational and understanding this reality affects the way that we think about it. This is where we start. Speech is foundational to even who we are as human beings. You can see in some of these uh, verses in 13 verse three, we find that uh, it, it can preserve life. Uh, whoever guards his mouth preserves life. We see in 18:21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. We, we see that, uh, that it has this, this aspect of, of being uh, something that we, we eat. Uh, it's so valuable that those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, it's almost like air and food, this thing that we, we need. And, and this is, is actually a theme that, that flows all through Scripture, this 
fact that God created the world, this Yahweh, the one who wants personal relationship with us, he created the world and he invites us to flourish in it. And he did that by revealing himself in his own words so that he wants uh, us to, to see the power of words as he created the, created the world with his words. Now, we're created in the image of God, so our words are not as powerful as his. But this idea of words is incredibly foundational. The very creation began with the words of God. And as he created us, he created us in his image so that, that our words matter and have power. And we've been talking about the fact that wisdom is being skilled in the art of godly relationships because we're created for relationship. We talked about that some over the last couple of weeks. And, and this recognition that we know that to be in relationship is to communicate. And without words, uh, we need other ways to communicate. So there are, uh, there are times when words are not able to be used, but we... we find things to replace them because we have to be able to communicate. Now, words are the way uh, that is the reality for most of us, right? And without that ability to communicate, we actually don't have relationship. So we, we experience this. If we have ever experienced the silent treatment, uh, we know that it, it's uh, degrading, it's painful, it's not something that we're designed for. Uh, we, we know that solitary confinement can be this thing. If it's long enough, it can cause people to go crazy because they're not able to interact with other people. Um, and I, I would encourage you not to use the silent treatment. We typically think of it as, as a, a fairly childish thing. And, and often when it happens for adults, it's not as much the silent treatment as just kind of uh, dismissing someone, right? But... We, we, we recognize that if it actually is employed, it, it's not helpful. I think, but it's not just that joke, right? Uh, there's an episode of, of Parks and Recreation where um, uh, April Ludgate and Andy Dwyer are dating. And uh, the, the whole show, particularly I, watching it as uh, a Hoosier now, um, is, is even better. But uh, so they're dating and they're hilarious. And uh, so there's... Uh, this time where April's really upset with Andy and they're on a Ferris wheel and there's a number of them in different uh, compartments on the Ferris wheel and they're talking about little Sebastian who's gotten out of his pen it's very sad but uh, uh, if, I'm sorry I'm, I'm not explaining it for those that don't watch Parks so they, the, joke, the joke that is made is that April says uh, um, Jerry could you please be quiet uh, because I can't hear myself ignoring uh, Andy. I can't hear myself not talking to Andy. And then she tries to talk through other people. Tell Andy this. And she's sitting right next to him, right? She's angry at him. And it's just, it's silliness, right? It's silliness to say, uh, I'm giving you the silent treatment. Uh, because you're actually not when you're telling somebody that you're giving them the silent treatment. But all of it recognizes, like you need the words to communicate what's happening. I'm giving you the silent treatment. How do you like it? Uh, Right, that, that we, we need those words because this is how we were created. We were created to be in a relationship that communicates with one another. Um, and this is part of who we are as created beings. The, the reality is being created in the image of God, is being created in the image of a God who existed in all eternity as a trinity. And uh, I'm not going to dive deep into the trinity, but it's, there's this recognition that God related 
to himself in the, the persons of the Trinity throughout history. There was this communication. So created in his image means that we're created for relationship because God is a God of relationship even before he created us. It's foundational to who we are. Again, God created the world with his word. The word became flesh in Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. The, the word dwelt among us. This is the incarnation. And it is foundational to this world and to who we are as ones created in his image. And yes, our speech would ideally reflect God. It doesn't always reflect God, which is where the writer of Proverbs uh, is, is going in many of these verses. Because there's warning that is foundational and powerful as the word is uh, in our own words. And the way that we speak, we need to be aware of its power. We need to be aware of ultimately the fact that it can be destructive. But I think there's a challenge for me as I was preparing through this, this sermon. Do, do I think about my, do I think about the things I'm going to say? So sometimes I'm like in a particular situation that might be an important situation. I think, okay, how do I word this best? Maybe it's in an email. I'm going to have a conversation with me, but oftentimes I'm just not thinking about my speech. It, do I think about the fact that it's foundational? Do I think about the, the way that it might impact others? I often, it, it's just something that is so a part of us. It's so foundational that we often don't even consider it. So there's this call in these verses to, to recognize the weight of our words. And that as a result, it is incredibly powerful. Because it's foundational, speech is powerful. It has incredible power, the power of life and death, 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It has incredible power. James 3 compares the tongue to a rudder that steers a large ship. And if you've ever seen the rudder on a ship, it's very small in comparison. But it steers the whole thing. It compares it as well to a bit that leads a horse. So you put a very small bit in the mouth of a horse and you can lead it, a very large horse, in the direction that you want it to go. It also describes in James 3, the tongue, the things that we say, our speech, as a small fire that can set ablaze a whole forest. It is powerful. Incredibly, incredibly powerful. So actually in that scene where, where April is upset with Andy, the reason that she's upset with him is because she has said, I love you. And his response to I love you, which is, are powerful words, I love you, powerful words, his response was, dude, shut up. That's awesome sauce. And tries to give her a high five. <laughs> which has a power in itself that is actually not very helpful. A power in the wrong direction because just so you know, somebody tells you that they love you and you're in a dating relationship, I mean, you, you don't want to lie, right? You, you want to think about it, but probably not, dude, shut up, that's awesome sauce, and try to give him a high five. That's why she's mad, because these words that she's spoken that are powerful, and his response is also powerful. Uh, we know that's true. Like, we have experienced the power of words in our own lives if someone has told us that they love us, or if someone has told us the opposite, or someone said something really hurtful, or really encouraging. We know the power of words in our lives. And what, what scripture is telling us is we, we need to be aware of the, the reality is we're gonna spend more time this week on actually the destructive power that words have. 
Because Proverbs gives us warning again and again about reality. In two weeks, I'm not here next week. In two weeks, we're going to continue the theme of speech, and we'll talk more about the encouragement of uh, the word, the, the positive words that we speak. But we need this warning because it is real. It is a reality, and we need to step forward uh, hope with hope, recognizing this truth. We, we are familiar with the phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And, uh, I, I, you know, hopefully, if you have any experience in life, you know that's just ridiculous, right? Uh, uh, Keller's exact quote was, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can destroy my soul. That's heavy, right? Um, and yet it's, it's true. That's what we find again and again from God's words, is that our words can be incredibly destructive. They can destroy our soul. And so there's a warning here, a, a, a harsh warning, in fact. The, the first thing that we think about, you hear that phrase, the rewording of it, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can destroy my soul. Probably where you first go is thinking about words that could be said to you or to a loved one and how they have destructive force. And that's true. The, the reality is there is destruction for the hearer of words. Words can be violent. Chapter 10, verse 11. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And, and, and we know words actually throughout history cause violence. They lead to murders or suicides or wars. They lead to incredible pain and hurt and broken relationships and strife. And, and we've probably experienced some of that. And we will experience more of it. And, and unfortunately, we're the cause of some of that too. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But words cause violence. They are destructive. Proverbs twelve eighteen, which is not what, there's so many verses in Proverbs that speak to our tongue and our speech. Uh, it didn't, I wasn't able to list them all. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, like sword thrusts. They wound and destroy, can, can even kill. And they can't just be taken back. I think it's helpful for us to note if you thrust someone through with a sword, there might be healing that can come. There's always gonna be scars. And for a while, there's just a wound. Our words have that same kind of power. This illustration is appropriate. There are things that once we say them, they cannot be taken back. The toothpaste can't be put back in the tube, right? We, we know this is true, and this is gonna, this recognition of that reality is something we need to think about regularly. But they're not only destructive for the hearer. So, um, what we find that Solomon and all of the writers in Proverbs will tell us is that they're also destructive for the speaker. And, and that's a part that we, we don't always think about. But verses 8 and 10 here in chapter 10 say that uh, the babbling fool will come to ruin. Hatred stirs up strife, verse 12. That there is this reminder that words are destructive for those who speak them. They will destroy the soul of one who says words foolishly or thoughtlessly or uncaringly. And so our words, as we think about the way that they affect others, we must recognize they're also affecting us. 
And they're affecting us when we can't take them back. They're affecting us in ways that can be destructive. It's, it's helpful uh, that as we think about this idea of guarding our hearts, our mouths, guarding what we say, that uh, we are doing that because we're recognizing the destructive power that words have both for us and for those that we speak them to. There's, there's an incredibly difficult challenge. And I do think that we're in this moment, we're in this moment where we have to actually think about it more. Because not only are we just having conversations with one another in person, we're, we're having conversations and we're communicating to people in all kinds of ways that have all kinds of implications. I mean, it used to be, uh, you know, back when I was a boy, you know, it, you know if, if I wasn't home, I couldn't get a phone call, right? But now I can get a text or an email or a phone call and voice message or a comment on social media any time of the day, day or night, it doesn't matter, right? And often a lot of those are being seen or read by other people. So there's a significant complicating factor to the way that we actually speak and communicate. And those things can happen through, uh, through pictures and they can happen through words. But like this recognition that those things that we put out there, they're communicating not only just to one person that we're having a conversation with, they're communicating to others. And, and we often don't think about that. I mean, just the reality of like, we're gonna go do something fun with one group of people and to post that recognizes that there's another group of people that knows that this is happening and they're not there. Those are things we never had to think about growing up. You would have to call somebody up and say, hey, we're going to hang out with a bunch of people. You're, you're not invited, right? You wouldn't do that, right? But that's what's communicated. Like, we, we have to recognize the power of our communication in a time where communication has changed dramatically over the last just small number of years. This requires more work to think through the implications of our words, the implications of the things that we communicate to other people. And even just to think about uh, email. I've, I've, so I've actually just kind of uh, unwittingly jumped into the fact that because speech is foundational and therefore powerful, that we are called to a speech that is careful. We're called to guard our mouths. Verse 3 of chapter 13 Whoever guards his mouth preserves life. And the implication is that if we don't guard our mouths, we do not preserve life. There is damage. Chapter uh, 18, verse 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This idea of being slow to speak, of listening before we speak. Uh, Steph, I know I heard this from somebody else, but says often, be more curious than you are certain. And this ties our speech in to our humility. Being more curious than we are certain means that we have stuff to learn from other people and that we should take time to learn that so that we should be guarded and that we should be careful and slow to speak. Listening before we speak. And, and there's a recognition that we all struggle with this. And in every area that we try to communicate, how do we speak with our family? Our family is often the ones that we feel most comfortable speaking poorly with. That's not actually uh, helpful. Those that we are closest to, we often will be the most careless with our words. And yet, uh, the, those that we are closest with, actually, we have the most power to harm. How do we speak with our friends? Do we say, oh, I'm just speaking my truth. I'm just a truth speaker. That's a, a, a common thought in today's 
world. Uh, I just speak what's on my mind. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm authentic in that way. And that's actually uh, destructive. Um, and some have said, just this you know, little phrase that, that rings true of uh, knowledge is knowing what to say and wisdom is knowing when to say it. That we can speak truth at times when it's actually not benefiting someone else. It takes wisdom to know when we should speak truth to other people. As well as the fact that humility should drive us to the fact that we're not always right. That what we're saying is not always actually true. That because of our own broken hearts and the way that we miss things is we don't always have it right. But here's the reality that we can be maybe encouraged in. We all struggle with this. James 3 again says that uh, if you basically, if you don't struggle with your tongue, you're perfect. And his point is nobody is perfect and everybody struggles with the way that you speak. This is where we find ourselves. So being cautious is this struggle that we, we go through. And so we try to find wisdom in the midst of this. When is the time to speak and when, when is not? And what we have been talking about through Proverbs is it's not always really simple. It's not, okay, just take this verse and read it and then you'll know exactly what to do, right? Because there are times where uh, to hide things can be destructive. Verse 18 of chapter 10 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool. To conceal hatred, to don't, don't essentially bottle it up. And so then how do we think about, okay, we don't just not say anything ever, right? There are times where we need to speak what's going on. Matt Osma, one of our elders, um, is uh, a psychologist, and uh, he will regularly say in the midst of conversation, talking about emotions, he'll say, just, just push it down. Just push it down. You know, just keep it down. Don't, don't let it out. And he says that sarcastically, because that would be crazy and really unhealthy to just go through your whole life in that way, right? That we actually need to be able to process. This is one of the beautiful things about storied lives. This is a place where we can come with our words and process things that we're struggling with. There's a wisdom to knowing where to process, and particularly if it's, if it's words or thoughts that are negative toward another person. My encouragement is to find the right person and time, the person of wisdom to, to process that with, to recognize that you might not be seeing all things clearly. Because if you just go to that person and you, and you spit those things out, it can't be taken back, and it often has incredible wounds. We have to be, we have to use wisdom. This is part of Proverbs. Uh, I'm not sure if I've mentioned yet, but Proverbs 26, verses four and five, give us this idea that wisdom is not always simple. It's knowing when to apply what. So Proverbs 26, verse four says, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. And then verse five says, answer a fool according to his folly, uh, lest he think he's wise in his own eyes. So, answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer. There, there are, the wisdom is this call to recognize when we say certain things. We need each other to understand that wisdom. And we need to dive into the word of God, into his wisdom, literature, into all of it, so that we would become people with a character that has wisdom. It's not just a plug and play, know this, do this. That's not the way that wisdom works. It isn't being skilled in the art of godly living or relationships. Because we recognize 
that as much as we want to be in control of our tongue, in control of that rudder on the ship, in control of the bit in the horse's mouth, we, we struggle. We're often out of control. When I was in high school, my brother randomly got uh, this job uh, to ride a, a guy's horses. He bought ex-thoroughbred horses, and he, he wanted them to get comfortable with a polo saddle. And I've never seen a polo match. I, maybe they happened in Memphis. That's where I grew up, and we rode these horses. I went out with my brother, and we're going to ride these ex-thoroughbred horses with uh, polo saddles to get them used to it. And uh, had, we both had had experience riding and uh, enjoyed it, felt comfortable. We go out. Um, we go across the bar- barn is here. We go across the field into the woods, this long trail through the woods. It was really a lot of fun. And then we get back to the field, and it became less fun. Because at that moment, the horses, they saw the barn. They knew where rest and food and home was. And they both took off. And the bridle did not work. I mean, I am pulling with all of my strength uh, back. And that, I've never been so fast on a horse. And it is by the grace of God that I stayed on the horse the whole time. It was both terrifying and a little bit exhilarating. But at that moment, I was longing for that bit to actually work. And here's the reality, is we go through life and we, we don't even have control of our own tongue. We don't have control of the bit that would guide and direct us. We just don't. This is part of our brokenness. This is part of our, our being creatures, not the creator. So we struggle to know, to have the wisdom, to apply the art. Because our hearts are, are, are broken. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that from the heart, the mouth speaks. And the heart being, uh, in, in the Bible, like, it's... It's the, what we think of as the brain and the emotions that we think of the heart. It's all of that combined. It's, it's the driving force of our lives. It's, it's why we do what we do. And out of our heart, the mouth speaks. And our heart needs direction from God. It needs healing from God. And this is the, this is the beauty of the gospel. That what we find in this story of God working in the lives of his people is it's not just Hey, here's wisdom. Be wise with your words. Go do it, and then I'll love you. Get on it. Speak well. Be cautious. That's, that's not what happens. It's, it's what, what happens is that God recognizes that we, we mess it up again and again and again. The Israelites who were reading this, the people of God who were reading this when it was first written, they messed it up. The disciples messed it up. And that's why Jesus came, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It, it's why he went to the point of even when he was justified in, in fighting against the powers that were putting him to death, he submitted to it. And what he said in the end was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's a sense in which he was experiencing the ultimate silent treatment, forsaken by God. The one that he, God the Father, the one that he had had eternal relationship with in all perfection, that that was broken so that our sin and our mess and our hearts could be healed and mended and we could be brought into relationship with him. So that we could speak with him and he could speak to us and we could experience growing in the art of godly living. And Jesus, in the example that he sets in his sacrificial life and death, is an example 
and it is the power to move past our mistakes and to grow in our skill of the art of godly living. And it is forgiveness when we mess up. It is the key to relationship with him. Because the words that he spoke were perfect. Even to the point where he was willing to give up his rights. And, and he held back truth in that moment. He held back. He knew he had the wisdom to know that it might mean his destruction, but it was for our good. And he's calling us to, to not only to follow that example, but to rest in it. To rest in that action so that we might have our hope in him. Because we're never going to get it together perfectly. We, as Josh said earlier, we do not earn our salvation. We just can't. We're not going to speak well enough, wise enough to earn the favor of God. And yet, he has loved us and sacrificed himself for us that we might have relationship with him. And invited us to allow ourselves and our words to be shaped by it. Recognizing the power they have both for us and for others because of the power that he has given us as those created in his image.